You are listening to The Outer Pendulum, Part 3, Pirates of Omega Polaris, by Slava Heretz. Audio version read by John Bell. You can purchase this and additional installments in The Outer Pendulum Saga on Amazon, iBooks, Barnes & Noble, and many other ebook retailers. And make sure to visit SlavaHeretz.com for more information on current and upcoming podcasts and releases in the series. Pirates of Omega Polaris, copyright 2012 by Slava Heretz. Captain Saffinger awoke. He opened his eyes and lifted his head slightly off a damp, mushy pillow. He laid there, still on a cot made of moss and fungus, the bedsheet covering him lined with a soft Asara leather hide. The walls were an earthy brown and green, with plant roots and vines hanging down from the ceiling, winding and twisting until they nearly touched the floor. The room was small, cramped, about the same size as a brig cell on his cruiser, but with a dome shape rather than a cube. He wiped a bit of moisture from off his face and tried to sit up, immediately groaning and wincing before falling back on the cot. He turned his head to the side. There was a small hole at the opposite end of the room, no more than a few meters away, leading into a black nothingness beneath the floor. He knew what it was for. As soon as the thought popped into his mind, he felt his bladder filling, ready to explode at any moment. Saffringer tucked an arm underneath him and rolled onto his stomach, Half his body now hung off the cot, just barely staying on top of the spore-infested mattress. He slid off the edge slowly and plopped down on the soil beneath him. It was strange. The floor's surface was wet and soft, but there was nothing to dig into. It just seemed like one intact piece of living astroturf. He propped himself up with both arms and brought his knees up. He crawled over to the hole and pulled off the thin, wiry, and uncomfortable pants covering his lower half. He relieved himself into the hole and fell onto his back, breathing heavily as just that simple motion of lifting his pelvis was an excruciating struggle. Suddenly, a tiny slither of vines on the wall near his bed separated and a bright white light shone in. Saffinger covered his eyes with the back of his hand as something slid into the room and came to rest in the center of it, just out of arm's reach. The opening immediately sealed shut, and the room was dark again. Not pitch black. There seemed now to be a phosphorescent glow from the flora on the walls that dimly lit the perimeter of the tiny room. Saffinger leaned towards the object and then quickly pulled away, getting a whiff of the foul odor that wafted from within. Inside was some kind of soup an odd-looking concoction of unknown vegetables and lumpy porridge. He turned towards the toilet hole and nearly vomited into it. "'It tastes better than it smells,' echoed a woman's voice. It came from just beyond the near wall. "'Hello?' Saffinger called out. "'Your food. I said it tastes better than it smells. You sort of get used to it after a while.' She spoke Dubdonian nearly perfectly, but still with an accent, as though she learned the galactic standard in her later years." "'What is this place?' Saffinger asked. "'This is the brig of the bison-class battleship Sitar.' Saffinger inched closer to the wall and tried to peer through the web of roots and vines and earth, but to no avail. He heard the woman begin to slurp her meal from the other side. He looked back at his own dish and gagged slightly before turning away again. "'How long have you been here?' Saffinger inquired. "'Don't know,' she replied, her mouth now clearly filled with food. "'A week, maybe two. "'How long have I been here?' "'Don't know.' 
This is the first time I heard them put a food dish in any cell but my own. She finished her meal and slid the metal container back across the room. Saffringer could hear it clang as it struck the far wall, then rattle in place where it landed. You only get one of these per day, she continued. Just enough so you don't starve to death. Probably nutritious. Definitely not filling. Saffinger could hear her start to shuffle around just beyond the walls, maybe pacing back and forth, maybe doing some exercises. Either way, she made a surprising amount of racket for such a sound-dampened enclosure. What do they want with you? Saffinger asked. Same thing they want from anyone. Ransom. This is a sovereign-issue ship. This isn't a pirate vessel. She suddenly burst out laughing, still walking back and forth in her cell. What's so funny? Saffinger asked. Her laughter slowed, but she still cackled quietly, unable to fully regain composure. <laughs> you clearly know nothing about the Jowler tribe, she finally got out. I know enough. Let me guess. You're a mercenary pilot. Saffinger scrunched his brows. Fleet commander. How'd you know? I know your type. You all have this great vision that someday you'll single-handedly rid the galaxy of piracy once and for all. Like you have some delusion of picking off each and every Jowler privateer, and then standing victoriously on your bridge, receiving the Medal of Bladrada. Saffinger said nothing. I bet you've taken out, what, five of the most wanted? Six? Eleven, Saffinger boasted. Oh, my, my, I stand in the midst of a true hero. It's an honor, Captain... She stopped. Saffinger. Then, oh, honorable Captain Saffinger... He could still hear the sarcasm, despite her voice being muffled by the thick walls. Then you should know better than anyone that there's no difference between a pirate and sovereign armada. You ever wonder why every time one of their fleets gets routed, they just come back with twice as many ships? It's not my job to think about that. She laughed again. What is your job, then? Automaton for hire? Shoot first? Ask questions later? Or not at all, in your case? My duty is simple. I receive a contract. I assemble a fleet. I complete the objectives and get paid. What's yours? Pretty much the same. No ships, though. You're an assassin? You make it sound so cheap. Human? Last time I checked. What's with the accent? My parents dumped me on Theta Mira when I was an infant. I was their idea of a good vacation ruined. A pair of quints found me and raised me before we were taken as slaves by Verklust. It's been so long I don't even remember how I escaped. Saffinger heard a sharp zap from beyond the walls as if a circuit panel was suddenly fried and disabled. The woman let out a high-pitched yelp and tumbled to the ground. Are you all right? Yeah. She didn't sound it. What are you doing over there? She groaned slightly. Nothing. Doesn't sound like nothing. She took a deep breath in and climbed back to her feet, quickly making her way towards the front wall again. That's why I never really learned to speak properly, she began again, as though really nothing had happened. You ever meet a Quint, they'll tell you their ancient language is the only true one in the galaxy. I used to protect their gas-harvesting swarms near Hydra 4. Yep, Hydra 4. That's where my mom and pop are, I think. At least, last I heard. You don't know? I've spent the last couple of years between Kepler and Alpha Lyrae. I'm no longer welcome in New Alliance territory. Why not? The woman said nothing again. Saffringer could hear more sparks and beeps coming from an access panel in her room. So you've been to Jowler Space then? Saffringer asked, not pushing what was clearly a sore subject. Yeah, like I said, all their ships come from the same factories. Dry dock to hangar. One goes to a sovereign outpost, the next goes to a haven. 
I've even heard rumors of tribal councils subsidizing pirate fleets. You mercs think you're bringing justice to this galactic region? You're dreaming. It's an endless cycle. So what are you doing here? Same delusion, different method. Savinger heard the rustling of leaves from her cell and then footsteps in the corridor outside. Insistent! It was a jolly guard. Savinger heard another set of footsteps burst in from the opposite end of the corridor and run towards the cell. Tilson, Estav! The voice was different from the first, more gruff and commanding, and with a more immediate sense of urgency. Savinger heard an acid bolt blast come from the right side of the corridor. It splattered on the soil just outside his cell. There was a click, then another. The footsteps suddenly ceased, and two bodies fell to the floor with a dull thud. Then there was silence again. No more yelling, no alarms, just a soft wheeze of what sounded like a charging weapon from just beyond the earthy walls. Saffinger heard a few electronic dings. Within seconds, several rows of vines and branches separated near his bed, and a woman stood confidently in the now-open entryway. Come on, she yelled. Saffinger tried to stand, using the side wall for support, but could get no further than off one knee before falling back to the floor. I can't move, he said. I think my legs are broken. The woman holstered the weapon in her hand, charged into the cell, and wrapped his right arm around her neck. She grabbed him by the waist and pulled him up to his feet. They were broken, she assured him. Reconstructed now. You aren't supposed to be released until you're fully healed. Saffinger winced as he tried to hop on one leg, knowing if the woman let go even slightly, he would tumble back to the ground. How do you know all of this? He managed to get out. This isn't my first time on one of these ships. You're worth nothing to them dead. I've been revived and then sold to bounty hunters and corporations a few times before. Doesn't sound like you're a very good assassin, he said, still trying to maintain balance. She looked at him out of the side of her eye and began to lead him out of the cell, supporting his frame as he hobbled along beside her. You better watch your mouth there, Captain. I didn't have to free you. Then why did you? She paused and let out a hint of a smile. Added value. She leaned him up against the archway out of the cell, gave him a quick look up and down, then hurried toward the far end of the corridor. Saffinger watched her as she ran gracefully, almost effortlessly, making her way towards a foliage-covered door. She had a lean, athletic body, with form-fitting yet hardly constraining Manaethan combat fatigues. He saw the grip of her pistol jutting out from the holster on her belt. He recognized the type right away, and knew exactly what happened to the two Jowler guards, now lying on the floor with blood pouring out of both ears. He wondered how she managed to sneak an ultrasonic blaster into her cell, let alone hide it from being discovered by surprise inspections. She was clever. There was no doubt about that. He picked up that trait from the moment she opened her mouth. Still, Saffinger couldn't decide one way or the other what to make of her. She was pretty. Damn pretty, in fact, with short red hair and striking hazel eyes. But he knew what women in the business were like. Always cold-hearted and thick-skinned, nearly incapable of a romantic thought. In the end, he knew that's why he married Samantha. She was as far from his professional life as he could ever imagine, and it gave him a sense of peace, knowing that after a long tour, he could come home to a kind, tender woman who would care less about the specks on his new reconnaissance frigate. It was just that juxtaposition, that softness, that need for a friend and not a sparring buddy that attracted him to her. If only she were still alive today. Saffinger looked back at the woman. She now stood in front of a closed door where the hallway seemed a dead end into a thick, impassable roof. She took out a small device from her pocket and placed it up against a security panel. 
She waited for a moment, then pushed several buttons on the panel. The door immediately slid open and she stepped back away from the opening. She fished out another device, this time from under her sleeve, and pointed it into the room. A figure appeared from inside. It was a Dubdonian riding a sleek, sturdy-looking assault uptrack. The creature pivoted towards Saffinger and the treads activated. It made its way down the corridor quickly, faster than any uptrack Saffinger had ever seen. The woman ran a few paces behind as the two made their way to the brig cells. I didn't realize this would be a shipwide jailbreak, Saffinger called out to the woman as she and the Dubdonian approached to within earshot. It's not real, she replied. She held out her device for Saffinger to see and pushed a button at its top edge. Forward thrust, she said, looking right into Saffinger's eyes. The uptrack lurched forward a few meters and stopped. She pushed the button again. Reverse thrust, she said. The uptrack rolled backwards the same distance as before. My God. Saffinger couldn't believe what he was seeing. Pretty good replica, no? Suddenly, the sound of a heavy mechanical grinding came from the guard station at the opposite end of the corridor. Damn it, she muttered under her breath. She flipped the remote control to Saffinger and pulled him up from off the cell wall. Get on! What? A large door began to slide open from where the noise originated. There's no time! Get on the uptrack! Saffinger flopped up against the back of the carapace and grabbed onto a handle protruding from the base of the canopy. Just push the top button on the remote and give it commands. I don't know its vocabulary, Saffinger protested. A group of three Jaller guards dashed into the room from the now partially open door. The woman pulled out her ultrasonic blaster and fired a shot into the crowd. It stopped none of them, and they all dove to take positions behind the cover of the security station. Damn it, they have oral dampeners. The woman spun into Saffinger's Briggs cell and took cover behind a wall of vines. She waved her hand to get Saffinger's attention. Just push the button and say, activate turrets. Saffinger obeyed. He gave the command, and the uptrack immediately raised its onboard weaponry. Now what? He whispered, keeping an eye on the guards hiding behind the long counter. Tell it to auto-target. Saffinger quickly pushed the button on the remote and gave the auto-targeting command. The turret barrels began to spin, starting with a deep moan before building up to a high-pitched wail, like a blender mixing a jicet fruit margarita at the highest setting. A lizard head appeared from behind the guard station. Before the jowler could even bring his acid rifle to his shoulder, the uptrack pivoted and fired a burst of shard capsules. The jowler's face sliced into hundreds of little pieces, and the beast toppled over, dead, with blood now pouring out of each tiny laceration on its face. There were still two left. One raised a rifle up over the counter and started to blind fire, sending blasts of acid bolts flying every which way, whizzing by the uptrack that barely shielded Saffinger from the barrage. A bolt hit the canopy, and the acid began corroding through the enhanced carbon fiber exoskeleton. Is there any other ammo on this thing? Saffinger asked, trying his best to keep his body fully hidden behind the machine. No, it's an anti-personnel model. Light, quick, efficient. Not a lot of room for high explosives or incendiary rounds. She changed the setting on her pistol and leaned out into the corridor. She fired another sonic blast towards the guard station. It did nothing. I'm out of ideas, Captain. They have multi-frequency dampeners. My weapon's useless right now. Saffinger took a deep breath and pushed the mic button on his remote. He tightened his grasp on the handle with his other hand. Jump, he commanded. The uptrack sprang off the ground and landed with a heavy rattle. Saffinger swung left and right, dangling precariously, but managing to hang on. He looked over at the woman who now stared at him with curious eyes. You said thrust moves it, right? 
Thrust is just a short burst of speed, she replied with a bit of skepticism. Continuous movement is like on a ship. Flank, full, half, forward flank, he shouted, almost before she finished the explanation. The uptrack jerked forward and began to accelerate towards the guard station, gaining speed at an incredible rate. Saffinger peeked around the edge of the carapace. A rapid-fire succession of acid bolts zipped by, with a few splattering onto the uptrack and beginning to burn through the metal core. He saw the guard station dead ahead, no more than a few meters away, the counter at least five above the ground. "'Jump!' he ordered. The machine leapt up onto the counter, running over and crushing handhelds and instruments scattered across the surface. "'Auto-target!' The uptrack launched off the edge of the counter, and the turrets pivoted toward the jollers below. The guards raised their rifles up in an attempt to fire, but it was too late. The shard capsules ripped through their skulls, with the reptiles letting out a shriek of pain before falling onto their backs and taking their last breaths. Saffinger still glided through the air, holding on as best he could to the handle. The uptrack suddenly hit the ground, the right tread making contact before the left, and instantly tipping onto its side. Saffinger let go. He hit the ground and slid across the flat soil beneath him, his elbows and wrists scraping hard against the surface as he tried to slow his skid. He couldn't stop himself in time, and slammed into the branch-lined wall just beside the door out of the brig. The uptrack careened into the wall just as hard beside him with a heavy crash. The woman came running up and pulled Saffinger to his feet. She leaned him against the wall. Are you insane? She stared him dead in his eyes. Saffinger said nothing. He just turned and rubbed the side of his temple where a dirt-covered welt was already forming. She walked over to the fallen uptrack and crouched down beside it. She inspected it quickly and brought it to its upright position. You got lucky, Captain, she said as she shook her head at the machine. It's still functional. A few acid burns, but still working. Saffinger wiped the dirt from off his forehead and arms. He looked down at his left elbow. It was scraped and raw, with blood rushing out onto his forearm. He took a few heavy breaths and slid his feet out from under him until his butt plopped down on the soil. Let me see that, she said, pacing over to him and grabbing his arm. Ah, hell, looks like you're still functional, too. Now get up. We still have to rendezvous with my contact. Saffinger shut his eyes and tore a leaf off the wall behind him. He wiped the wound a few times with it, ripped a thin vine off from the same spot on the wall, and tied it like a tourniquet around his bicep. He gave the woman a curt look and tried to prop himself up with both arms. Before he could struggle too much, she grabbed him from under his armpits and lifted him to his feet. He hobbled slowly to the uptrack, made his way around back, and grabbed onto the handle again. Thanks, he finally said. She gave him half a smile. You ready? Any more vital commands I should know about? Nope, looks like you got them all figured out. The Jowler crew quarters didn't look too much different from the brig. Same earthy green and brown walls, same phosphorescent lighting. In fact, the whole ship had the same concept and design. It seemed as though the interior was carved out of a natural forest rather than created as an artificial habitat. The walls in the room seemed to bulge and retract at various intervals, regulating a proper balance of chemicals and moisture necessary for Jowler comfort and survival. The room itself was empty, with the bed sheets on each cot perfectly folded and meticulously tucked beneath each mattress. The woman stepped in with gun drawn. Saffinger followed, still clinging to the back of the uptrack, now whispering commands to it. Where is everyone? Saffinger asked quietly. The mess. It's breakfast time. She flicked her eyes back and forth and pointed the ultrasonic blaster toward what looked like the entrance to the head. My contact should be here by now. 
Suddenly, a set of footsteps echoed from behind them. The woman spun around and pointed her gun out the doorway. Saffinger followed suit and ordered the uptrack to do an about-face. A jolly officer stepped into the archway, saw the intruders, and immediately drew an acid pistol. Auto-target, Saffinger shouted. The barrels on the uptrack pointed right towards the reptile, beginning their deadly spin once again. No, the woman shouted. Damn it, no, power down! Saffinger was just about to release the button on the remote when the uptrack light suddenly shut off and the machine wound down. The woman lowered her weapon and let out a sigh of relief. Friss! She ran up to the jowler and wrapped her arms around his torso. The lizard kept staring at Saffinger, not taking his eyes off the man for an instant, still pointing the acid blaster just beyond the shoulder of the uptrack at Saffinger's temple. Who's this? he asked. Our way onto the bridge. She fished out a few tools from her pocket and held them out towards the jowler. He raised his free hand and she placed the devices into an open palm. He immediately pocketed them and changed his stance, eyes still burning down the blaster sight. Okay, put the gun down, she said. He's unarmed. You were supposed to be the only prisoner, he spat. Well, now you have two. He's worth more than I am anyway. Is this the mercenary FC that took out Tango's fleet? The woman said nothing. She turned towards Saffinger with an expectant raise of the brow. I am, Saffinger responded. The jowler squinted and briefly rattled his forked tongue outside his mouth. Why did you let the pirate live? I had my reasons. You shouldn't have. Why not? He's a menace. Him and his tribal council lapdogs. They make our race look like a bunch of savages. Doesn't matter now. It can't be undone. The jowler finally holstered his weapon. I've heard of you. Saffinger, right? The captain nodded. Rumor has it you've gotten soft. Yeah, maybe you heard right. Saffinger crawled off the back of the uptrack and slowly brought himself up to his feet, wobbling back and forth a bit before regaining balance. See, the woman remarked, trying to ease the tension in the room. Not broken. You just needed to adjust. What now? Saffinger inquired, ignoring her, still hunched over and frail, looking as though he had just learned to stand. Now we get to work. She placed her hands together behind her back and turned around. The jowler pulled out a length of wire cuffs and wrapped them loosely around her wrists. He snapped off another strip of wire and approached Saffinger. Put your hands behind your back, he ordered. Saffinger turned, keeping a cautious eye on the reptile. He placed his hands behind his back, remembering not too fondly the same scenario a few days back. Friss cuffed Saffinger, then grabbed him by the arm. He pushed him over to the woman and now they stood side by side, shoulder to shoulder, facing out into the empty corridor. She tilted her head down and closed her eyes. She quickly muttered a few words under her breath, then flipped her head back up. What was that? Saffinger asked. Old family prayer. I say one every time. Every time what? What are we doing? All right, enough chit-chat, Friss interrupted. Get ready to look pissed off and defeated, and don't say anything to anyone. We clear on that? The two humans nodded. Now, move! Friss pointed his gun at their backs and they proceeded out the door. They walked down the corridor with Saffinger limping along, getting a nudge from the jowler every few steps. Good. Now not too gingerly, Friss instructed. We don't want them thinking I hurt you. This isn't an act, Saffinger whispered. I can still barely feel my legs. Just keep moving. We don't need any unwanted attention. Saffinger suddenly felt the woman's arm brush against his. He looked over at her without turning his head. She kept her gaze straight out into the winding hall, lids half shut with a scowl on her face. She almost played the part of the death row prisoner well, 
but had too much life in her, too much spirit. Saffinger wondered why she wanted the facade of a cold, dark killer. It wasn't her. On the outside it might have been, but that touch, that touch was warm. There was something inside of her that seemed to be permeating to the surface, desperately struggling to break free. He didn't know what it was or whether he could put his finger on it, but that brief contact with her freckled, pale skin was enough to know. She was a fraud, maybe a good contract killer, but there was something underneath that cried out for attention. They approached a row of Jaller crewmen strolling towards them in the corridor, gargling and hissing to each other in their own language. They wore off-white turtlenecks that covered the majority of their torsos. The stripes on the neck signified a low rank. Each crewman had one blue stripe, ensigns, probably hull engineers from the amount of dirt and grime smeared across their dark scales. Once they caught sight of Friths, they stopped and went silent. They straightened up, raised their claws up, and saluted with a clenching of their fists. Saffinger remembered seeing Friss had two orange stripes on his uniform. Maybe he was an XO, maybe a first lieutenant. Either way, he was the ranking officer among them. Katashatada! Friss barked. The Jollers relaxed and carried on, most likely given the at-ease command. One of them kept a pair of fiendish green eyes on Saffinger as they passed. He nudged the crewman beside him and hocked a wad of slime right in Saffinger's face. He took a swipe and cut a gash into the paper-thin prisoner scrubs, the fabric separating with a violent tear. Knack! Friss shouted towards him. Twisanaya knack uses! The crewman seemed to make an apologetic gesture, but immediately continued down the hall without much regard for the order. The whole crew seems to know who you are, Friss remarked, shoving his prisoners onward. They must not take too kindly to mercenaries like you shooting up their friends. Saffinger looked down at his torn shirt and limped forward. So, what are you, a defector? He caught a glimpse of the woman letting out a slight grin. No, he replied. Just your run-of-the-mill entryman. Where'd you get the uniform? Stole it off a dead commander before we came aboard. Fake documents, fake biosignature. You'd be amazed at what 100,000 asters will buy you these days. He turned to the woman. So how'd you get aboard? I've been his prisoner from day one. The dead commander was supposed to be transferring human smugglers back to New Alliance space. So if anyone asks, I'm wanted by customs for two counts of narcotics and weapons trafficking. You've got all this planned out, huh? Well, she began, how do you think I got a gun and all those tools in my cell? Saffinger released a laugh from his nostrils. <laughs> I was wondering why you lapped that slop so quickly. We've been working together since the Oshad insurgency began. What, about six years ago? Saffinger shook his head. The eastern Messier region will never see the end of that war. That's why we're here, Captain Saffinger. Frisk chimed in. Couldn't bear to pick a side. It's only so long before one finds out you're working for the other. So you turn on your own race instead? I don't pay homage to the tribe. I owe these men nothing. Clearly. Don't patronize me, Captain. You wouldn't understand. Our respect comes from something much deeper than mindless wealth and glory. You human mercs pledge an oath to an electronic currency, and that's it. And you don't? Hey, relax, the woman interrupted. Both of you. We're on the same side. We're all here for the same thing, so just cool it. Saffinger lowered his head and took a few clumsy steps forward. I don't think you know why I'm here. We'll see about that, Friss responded, suddenly stopping at a four-way intersection. He glanced down each section of corridor, then directed everyone to the right, towards a large decorative archway with perfectly symmetrical jaya leaves hanging down from the ceiling. 
This is it, Frisk said. Only speak when spoken to and do exactly what they say. He opened a hidden panel behind a row of vines and fiddled with it until a green light came on. Shastasa ista nasalamana chi set. Where's your calm implant, Commander? Came a voice in Dubdonian from the speaker on the panel. Friss paused for a moment, not expecting the sudden language change. I, I apologize, sir. Lieutenant Zassen is working on it right now. The microchip got loose. Very well. What's your business here, Commander? I have prisoner, sir, the smuggler and the mercenary captain. Suddenly the brambles and vines disappeared, exposing a studded metal door. It immediately slid down into the soil, giving entry into a massive bridge ahead. The three of them took a few cautious steps into the room, disoriented at first, not knowing whether they would fall off the edge down to the bottom of the view screen below. The room was a dizzying, tiered stadium, with the screen a giant lens-like projection displaying three-dimensional diagrams and navigational coordinates in a nearly 360-degree periphery. Savinger had to physically rotate his head from one end to the other to see the entirety of the surface as it engulfed the control stations and operators within. Several blobs of holographic images moved side to side in midair. It reminded Savinger of the planetarium his father used to take him to as a kid. They'd watch old films and laser shows. Sometimes they'd go late at night just to see the tales of the Milky Way, an odd, nostalgia-laden program filmed by the Telescope Twins, as they were called back then. Saffinger missed those days when he knew nothing of war, nothing of hate. Ah, Captain Saffinger, said a voice from the command chair in the top row. A figure stood up. It was Tango. Nothing changed from their last meeting. He looked as smug as ever. Welcome aboard, my new flagship. Saffinger looked him right in the eyes and said nothing. Very good timing, Commander, the Joller continued, throwing a quick glance to Friss. We are preparing to come out of warp at Lambda Hercules momentarily. You trying to start a war, Tango? Saffinger asked. Just the contrary, my good captain. We shall be returning you to your brethren in order to prevent one. Saffinger looked into the center of the view screen. He could see a mass of green dots blinking on the holographic tactical grid. This doesn't look like a peaceful fleet to me, Saffinger said. Well, now, I cannot guarantee that the tribal council nor your parliament will share my sentiments and desire for peace. We come prepared for the worst, Captain. Tango glanced over at a purplish joller, leaning against the railing beside his command chair, staring out at the viewscreen ahead. My word, where are my manners, Tango said, and held his claws open towards the other reptile. Captain Saffinger, this is Fleet Admiral Shisordis of the Eighth Joller Tribe. The Admiral turned and looked at Saffinger with uninterested eyes, glancing over at the other prisoner instead. Who's the woman? he asked. A treat. Our new commander has been good enough to expedite the release of this smuggler and bring her aboard. There is a new Alliance Trading Corporation that is most interested in seeing her return to safety. Isn't that right, Commander? Yes, sir, Friss agreed. Is she worth anything? The fleet admiral inquired. We shall find out soon enough. Tango barked a few orders to the ensigns in the lower tiers of the bridge. The ship came out of warp, and a new Alliance Navy fleet appeared on the projection before them. Why don't you bring the prisoners over here, Commander? Tango suggested. I'm sure everyone will want to have a good look at them once visual communication is established. 
Saffinger could feel the woman start to loosen her wire cuffs behind her back. She wiggled her wrist, and once she had the wire completely off, tucked it casually into the waist strap on the back of her fatigues. She grabbed onto the grip of the blaster that protruded ever so slightly from her lower half. Frisk began to lead them towards the center of the bridge, when all of a sudden Saffinger caught a fully combat-fitted guard appear from below the steps of the second tier. Another one rose up from the opposite end of the dome. Saffinger flicked his eyes toward a third guard who entered through a door on the right, then to a fourth from the left. Frisk stopped. He shoved Saffinger out of the way, raised his acid blaster, and fired at the guard directly in front of him. It hit him in the exposed area under his chin, and the jowler grabbed his throat and fell to his knees. The woman then crouched, pulled a small disc out of her pocket, and tossed it toward the side wall. She leapt one way. Friss went the other. They both rolled and took cover behind unmanned control stations near the center of the bridge. A powerful yet localized explosion erupted from where the disc landed. The guard caught in the blast, heaved backwards, and slammed into the view screen. Saffinger could see several limbs missing from his torso before he tumbled down into the bridge depths some six tiers below. Chaos suddenly filled the bridge. Acid blasts and railgun ammo came from every which way. There were shouts, screams, a hose flung out of a wall compartment and doused a fire that already began to spread across the port side. The bridge lights turned to dark burgundy, and the projection on the view screen now showed a 3D blueprint of the ship with the bridge at the base flashing intermittently on and off. Saffinger lay there on the ground as round after round whizzed by over him. He was afraid to move. He knew the second he tried to crawl to cover is when he'd be hit. So he just lay there, hoping, silently praying, wondering when this would end. He stared up at the ceiling, catching thin streaks of red, yellow, and green pass overhead. Then suddenly a guard sprang up and dug his claws into the soil-lined topside. He pointed a rifle behind the control station where Friss hid and fired an electroshock blast. The weapon immediately let out a high-pitched wheeze as it charged and regained life. He aimed it at the next station and fired again. Kistars! Kistars! He yelled and dropped down to the deck. The regular dim white lights came back on and the medley of gunfire ceased. The guard pulled Saffinger up by his collar and shoved him over to the command chair. Tango was now on one knee, bent down beside the fleet admiral who lay there with blood gushing out of his chest. Tango placed his hand under the beast's uniform and lowered his head. He's dead. There was a silence on the bridge. Everyone from ensign to commander seemed to mourn silently for their fallen superior. The navigators stopped poking at the controls. The comms officers took their earbuds out. Saffinger watched Tango as he stood up and surveyed the bridge. You want peace, Captain, Tango said with a soft yet brutally harsh voice. I see nothing of the sort in either of your futures. The jowler slowly walked back to his command chair. He sat down and stared straight out into the viewscreen projection. Clean up those bodies. I want that traitor Friss and the woman up here now. Saffinger now clung to the railing with a look of bewilderment on his face. Do not look so surprised, Captain. I know who this filthy maggot-infested creature is. He is nothing more than a petty murderer. Not much different from me and you, then. Oh, enough, Captain. Your incessant political vitriol is insulting. Have some dignity for your profession. Where is the honor in this massacre we just witnessed, huh? Where is the virtue? These so-called assassins just march in here thinking they can fool us with this prisoner charade. Saffinger said nothing. You know nothing of their mission, Captain Savinger. You know nothing of their pathetic attempts to collect mere table scraps from our good people. 
Two guards suddenly appeared with Friss and the woman draped over their shoulders. Open short-range comms with the new Alliance fleet, Tango demanded. Almost instantly, a giant holographic image of Admiral Gon materialized overhead. Greetings, Tango spoke first. He raised his claw up and gave the human a half-hearted clinch of the palm. I hope we may get this over with quickly, Admiral. What's the matter, Sir Gao? Gon replied. My patience is being tried, Admiral. I've lost my fleet. I've lost my men. And now one of our five-star admirals has just been slain. You should strongly reconsider your tone. I apologize for your losses. However, I don't exactly see how this pertains to the new alliance. These were your assassins. I beg your pardon. The insurgents. You hired them to incite war between our race and the Dubdonian Free State. They have failed in their operation. Tango, how many prisoner exchanges have we been through in the past thirty years? Do not attempt to change the subject, Admiral. Tango, I speak with the utmost sincerity and respect when I say that neither I nor my government has any knowledge of what you're talking about. I will be sure to mention that to the Tribal Council when I present my report. Hold on. This is a ludicrous accusation. What proof do you have? What motives? Tango turned and nodded to the guards, holding the unconscious prisoners over their shoulders. They immediately took a few steps forward to appear within the camera frame and presented Friss and the woman. Admiral Gan's eyes widened. They don't work for us anymore, he pleaded, his voice now getting desperate. And I also presume that you had no knowledge of an assault uptrack being brought aboard. It was a clever ruse, I must admit. I can already imagine the insufferable interlude's headline. Dubdonian hitman and his cohorts take out Jaller ranking officer. Lizards invade jellyfish space, and humans sit back to wallow in the attrition. I am sincerely impressed, Gon. A well-thought-out plan. This is insane, Tango. The only problem is, and I do have to thank my vigilant medical corpsman for alerting me, is that the Dubdonian turned out to be a replica. So the only explanation that remains, seeing as these are your agents, is that the plot stems from your people, and that it has failed. Those two are no longer part of our intelligence community. Gon tried to sound as convincing as he could, and Safender, despite his hatred for the man, could sense the sincerity in his voice. But Tango had already made up his mind. He already decided the fate of his tribe in the human colonies. And now, with proof to nullify the First Messier Treaty, there was nothing stopping him from joining with the Sovereign Navy and declaring war. If it's any consolation, we will be releasing Captain Saffinger shortly. I hope the Dera Admiralty have prepared my ransom. Gon nodded hesitantly. What about the other two? Their punishment falls under our treason and espionage legislation. He paused and let out a devilish grin. Execution without trial. The storage bay of the standard Jaller shuttle didn't exactly radiate luxury. Saffinger sat in a corner watching the stars out a porthole window. He shifted his butt around the cold deck trying to find a comfortable spot. Eventually, he gave up and rose to his feet. He kept running the past few hours in the bison class through his head, wondering what happened over there. He analyzed every scenario, every move, what he did right and what he did wrong. But he realized that in the end, it wouldn't change anything. He was just a pawn now, 
an innocent bystander tagging along for the ride. The fate of the new alliance now rested in the hands of a war-mongering reptile who should have died in that battle at Omega Polaris. Saffinger cursed himself for letting the monster go. At the time, he somehow believed that sparing the life of the pirate would be the right choice, that somehow he himself would become the senseless murderer, reducing himself to the same moral code as the twisted reptile. But now he realized what a grave mistake he had made. No other jowler would be this cold. No other jowler would be this heartless. The tribe now had an excuse a means to destroy the colonies of the New Alliance once and for all. And with the Chintas rediscovered, the human civilization had no hope. The Jowlers now had the ability to create an impenetrable armor, an osseum alloy injected with a dose of poison from the Chinta belly. The Dubdonians discovered the creatures thousands of years before humans even arrived to the southern Messier region. They accidentally stumbled upon their hardening properties and waged a bloody war against the Jowlers. The reptiles, on their heels and on the brink of defeat, finally developed an antidote for the poison. They concentrated all their ground forces on the Chinta farms spread around the galaxy, going from planet to planet, systematically destroying the Dubdonian nurseries, until every trace of the bird-like creature was wiped from history. The farmers were all slaughtered, as were the chemists. There was a 50-year crusade by pan-galactic forces and censorship agencies to destroy anyone, anything, and any record or knowledge on how to successfully recreate this super-dense alloy. Saffinger now knew the Jollers had found the way again. He shivered. The storage bay temperature suddenly dropped. Hey, pilot, he shouted towards the door into the cockpit. He got no response. He walked up and put his face to where the two doors met in the center. Can you turn up the heat? It's freezing in here. We're almost there, came a muffled voice from beyond the doors. Just relax. Come on, just a little bit. How hard is it to turn the knob a centimeter to the right? The doors separated and the pilot flung a Zenarium fur hat into the room. Before the doors could close, Saffringer jammed an arm in between them and grabbed onto the side with his free hand. He forced the doors open and sprang into the cockpit. Hey, what the— Before the pilot could finish, Saffringer grabbed his head with both hands and violently twisted it ninety degrees to the right. He heard the spinal cord snap off like a twig, taking advantage of the frail bone structure of the reptilian vertebrae. The pilot's head limped over just below the front of the shoulder, and the jowler now lay still in the chair. Saffinger shoved him off the seat and took his place in front of the navigational instruments. Now what? Saffinger muttered to himself. He wondered what compelled him to burst into the flight deck and kill the innocent jowler. It was a haze, an unexplainable impulse, but something in his brain clicked on and told him he had to go back. There was nothing left for him at Dara. He failed the most important mission of his career. Them agreeing to pay his ransom meant nothing. He would be demoted as soon as he got back to Hydra too. He grabbed onto the yoke in front of him and turned it sharply to the left. The shuttle rolled as quickly as he expected, with attitude thrusters igniting underneath the right wing and on top of the left. He then pulled the yoke towards him. The shuttle fired another row of attitude thrusters, this time on the underbelly of the nose, and pitched upwards until it completed a 180-degree turn. He stepped on a pedal where his foot rested, and the ship began to slow, no longer being carried by its own momentum towards the new Alliance fleet. It came to a stop, then begun to accelerate again, this time towards the Jowler fleet now some ten clicks off the bow. A speaker crackled from above. A human voice came on the overheads. Jowler Transport Shuttle 229, what is the reason for your aspect change? Saffinger had no idea how to respond. Even if he did, he wouldn't have wanted to anyway. Captain Saffinger... 
Resume your original course. If you approach, you will be fired upon. It was now a jowler. Saffringer knew it was only a matter of time before they picked up on the pilot's lost biosignature. There was a click. The radio seemed to switch comm frequencies, and Gon's booming voice came resonating from the speakers. You fire on that shuttle, and we fire on you. Now you threaten us, Admiral? It was Tango. Your man has just killed one of our pilots. It's not an issue. He's one of ours, Seargaw. You even open a missile door and we destroy your entire fleet. The Admiral didn't seem to be bluffing. Even if he were, he held the cards to do it with. Seven capital ships, twenty destroyer squadrons. Plus, they were in the heart of New Alliance space. The Admiral would deploy point stasis fields and weapon destabilizers before the Jollers could even think about maneuvers. Captain, burst out Tango's voice again. If you intend anything other than your unconditional surrender, I suggest you turn that shuttle around and head back towards your fleet. Saffinger stepped harder on the thrust pedal, and the shuttle accelerated towards the still-open hangar of the Jaller battleship. Master at arms, station guards in that hangar bay. I want this man captured on touchdown. Saffinger eased into the bay, firing a reverse thruster to slow his descent. He caught a glimpse of a squad of Jaller soldiers running past an airlock window. Then he surveyed the hangar for a landing spot. He could see several rows of various shuttles, anything from simple one-seaters to fully armored troop transports. Each had its own unique black-on-white color scheme, with some even donning the flashy and elaborate claw and spike design. He looked down at his instruments, trying to find one to retract the legs. Most of them had scrawling, all in indecipherable Jaller hieroglyphics, but the seemingly important ones contained clear, obvious pictures of what purpose they served. He could figure out which display gave nose heading, which one showed forward and angular velocities. In fact, the instruments seemed to be arranged exactly like on the in-class shuttles he used to fly for the Navy. He wondered how many other decommissioned ship blueprints the New Alliance sold to the Jollers. Suddenly, Saffinger spotted a small fighter sitting off on its own in the corner of the bay. He recognized it right away. It was one of their nimble mosquitoes, an asymmetrical blob designed for quick hit-and-run operations. It had only one omnidirectional turret and didn't carry many bombs, but it could pack a punch if launched at the right target. It also was nearly impossible to lock at top speed with all but the fastest tracking computers. Saffinger had encountered a few of their squadrons before in his career, one well-placed proximity mine and they were about as effective as a tin man with a slingshot. The hard part was getting them close enough to detonation range. Saffinger caught a glimpse of a strange red button out of the corner of his eye. It seemed to be off by itself on the instrument panel, away from the dials and displays he was already becoming familiar with. The hieroglyphs below were of a ship silhouette and an arrow pointing to another similar-sized craft of a different design. He remembered Captain Venice explaining the new mold-matching technology back aboard the Vickers-class corvette and wondered if all the Jaller ships were now equipped. He reached out and whispered an ah, what the hell to himself. He pushed the button, and a green targeting reticule appeared on the HUD. It framed one of the shuttles directly in front of him. There were two scroll buttons beneath the main control. Saffinger pressed the one on the right several times until the Mosquito-class fighter became the primary target. He put a finger on the red button again. The lights in the cockpit suddenly shut off. The hull began to glow as though thrown into a burning forge. Almost instantly, the shuttle exterior turned from a piece of solid metal to a radiant plasma, somehow flowing within the confines of the craft. It then began to shift and rearrange, replicating the design of the fighter in a matter of seconds. The instrument panel in front of Saffringer then sparked. 
Hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of nanobots sprang up and began to reconstruct and rewire the controls. Saffinger couldn't believe what he was seeing. The yoke changed. The damage panel now showed a completely different diagram. There were now fire controls, ammunition statuses. The bots even constructed a new narrower command chair. Nothing of the shuttle remained. Saffinger had never seen anything like it. An airlock slid open at the front of the hangar. The squad of suited Jaller soldiers stormed in and took positions behind crates and shuttle landing legs, pointing rifles and heavy weapons up at the craft. Saffinger could hear the hangar door grinding shut behind him. He had nowhere to go, nowhere to flee. His only option was to land and surrender and be thrown back into the brig. But Saffinger looked down. The nanobots had just finished constructing a weapons joystick. He took a deep breath and flipped a switch just above a pair of mill-dot crosshairs. The head-up display flicked on, and a thin green circle with a dot in its center glowed on the viewscreen in front of him. Saffinger gave the joystick a test shove left, then right. Almost to his surprise, the circular reticule followed his every movement. He centered the dot over the now-closing airlock and held down the trigger. A concentrated X-ray stream fired out of the turret and ripped through the decompression chamber door within. He nudged the joystick slightly and kept his finger on the trigger. The beam proceeded to burn through the earth-covered wall, causing sections of it to break off and crumble to the ground. One of the soldiers loaded a rocket into his shoulder-fired weapon and almost immediately pulled the trigger. An explosion of burning fuel shot out of the back with the missile beginning its acceleration towards Saffinger's ship. An alarm suddenly rang out inside the cockpit. A light flashed from an unlabeled display on the instrument panel. Saffinger panicked. He jerked the yoke left and slammed on the thrust pedal. It did nothing. Damn it, he screamed and punched the yoke. After all that, navigation controls never activated. The rocket sped onward, inching closer with every passing moment. Saffinger was a sitting duck, a target practice dummy hovering in the middle of the shuttle hangar. He frantically searched for a hieroglyph that even remotely resembled an ECM countermeasure, but knew it was a futile endeavor. Just as the rocket was about to make impact, the fighter lurched sideways and the streak of gases and flames passed within centimeters of the canopy. Auto-maneuvering? Saffinger whispered to himself, his heart now pounding within his chest. The wonders never cease. A salvo of ineffective rifle blasts and acid bolts followed and began to strike the ship. Saffinger regained composure and pointed his fighter into the large gap in the wall. He stepped on the thrust, and the ship sped forward, still being bombarded with a constant stream of fire, still taking no damage from it. He squeezed the craft through the break and found himself in a corridor just big enough to fit the mosquito's tiny hull. He pulled the yaw lever, and the ship rotated on axis until it pointed down the corridor. The floodlights were no longer on. Only a soft phosphorescence sparkled and glistened throughout the hallway. Saffinger accelerated, keeping a light foot on the thrust. Up ahead, a gathering of armed crewmen suddenly appeared from around a corner. A few dove and hit the deck. The others couldn't react in time and were struck down and crushed by the speeding ship. A line of blood splattered across the viewscreen as Saffinger accelerated away. Further down, he could see a large transparent door where the corridor seemed to end. He hit the reverse thrust and the fighter slowly decelerated until it stopped, hovering in place just before the door. He could see inside. It looked like a gymnasium. There were in-ball nets and exercise equipment scattered throughout the giant room. Several uniformed jollers were assembled at the far end in what looked like a stage or sporting ring. Saffinger just barely tapped on the thrust pedal and brought his ship closer to the door. He could now see a row of joller guards staring down the barrels of their rifles, pointing them at another joller who was on his knees, 
blindfolded and with hands tied behind his back. A strange-looking reptile dressed in an ornate, beaded gray robe stood over the prisoner. He had a claw on his shoulder and read from a dusty tome out loud to the assembly. Friss! Saffinger yelled. Before he could do anything, the guards each fired a round. The jowler toppled over and a pool of blood began to form around him. Nobody touched him. The robed jowler simply closed his book and stepped down from the stage to join the remainder of the gathering. Almost immediately, the woman appeared from below a small staircase, also blindfolded and cuffed, and led by a guard up to the top of the mat. Saffinger hit the reverse thrust and backed the ship away from the door. He flicked on the targeting reticule, positioned the circle and the dot in the center of the screen, and this time pushed a button at the top of the joystick. A small bomb released. It tumbled towards the door and exploded upon impact, sending shards of crystal and glass careening down the hall and out into the gym. He floored the pedal and swooped in through the fiery blast, appearing on the other side of the now-blown-off door unscathed. There was already chaos within the room. Panic. Confusion. The jollers dove for cover or hid behind storage closets. But Saffinger saw a lone gunman on the stage, still pointing his rifle at the woman. Saffinger shoved the targeting joystick right. He held down the trigger, and the X-ray laser began to burn through the mat, setting it ablaze almost instantly. He continued to guide the reticule towards the joller until the beam sliced through his torso and separated his stomach from his legs. His lower half collapsed, and the upper half flopped down on top, tumbling hard and falling off the edge of the stage. Blood and ooze gushed out from inside his now non-existent waist as it rolled a few meters before coming to a rest against an empty chair. Saffinger maneuvered toward the stage. He brought the ship down to the deck and skimmed his eyes across the instrument panel. He found the closest thing to an image of a canopy and pushed the button directly under it. The dome above him let out a decompressing hiss. It slid into the hull, and he immediately sprang up. "'Come on!' he shouted towards the woman, covering his face from the flames that had already engulfed the mat. She rose to her feet and tried to figure out where the voice was coming from. "'I can't see where you are!' she yelled back. The crackling fire drowned out her voice. "'Just step forward!' she obeyed and took a few hesitant steps toward the craft. "'Come on! Closer!' The fire seemed to catch an accelerant. There was a rush of red and yellow as the flames rose to the ceiling behind her. "'Let's go! Just a few more steps!' She was almost at the edge of the stage. Good! Now jump! Where? Just jump! She leapt forward, and Saffinger held his arms out to catch her. She slammed up against his chest, and they both tumbled down behind the pilot's chair, careening off the hard deck and landing just outside of the storage bay. The woman took a deep breath. She was lying right on top of Saffinger. He threw her blindfold off and stared into her fiery eyes. You know a way out of here? she asked softly. Same way I came in. She rolled off and turned her back to him. You mind? Saffinger untied the wire and crawled back up to the chair. He hurriedly fumbled around the instruments and found the canopy controls. The dome slid back, and Saffinger could feel the air pressure and artificial gravity instantly fill within the cockpit again. He turned the yoke and pointed the craft out towards the ruined door through which he came in. Just as he was about to hit the thrust, the gymnasium shook violently. What was that? the woman asked. I don't know. The surroundings trembled again, causing a massive cave-in at the exit. Saffinger grabbed the joystick and fired a steady stream at where the doorway once was. The rubble was too thick now. He knew there would be no way to carve out a new escape path. Suddenly an explosion erupted from above, and the ceiling of the giant room disintegrated. Saffinger looked up into the gaping hole. He could see the void. 
They were ion blasts, torpedoes, plasma cyclones, and distortion fields hurtling by from every which way, lighting up the colorless vacuum. He pulled the yoke towards him, and the nose of the craft rose upward. He closed his eyes. The war has begun, he said. I never doubted it would. Saffinger opened his eyes and twisted his head behind him. You know, I never got your name. Just call me Alarica. Alarica, Saffinger muttered to himself. Why did you come back for me? Saffinger smiled. Added value. 